Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Lisa Tahir on here on the show. She has a book out called The Chiron Effect, Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology, Empathy, and Self-Forgiveness. Thank you for being on today. Gary, thank you so much for having me on Everything Imaginable and with your listening audience. I'm really happy. That is fantastic. I am happy to have you. So uh, let's start from the beginning. What okay. brought you What brought you down this path of, uh, I guess we'll call it self-discovery? I think that's a really good way to... To say that, I've always been so interested and curious about why we do the things that we do and why I've done the things that I've done. And I distilled it down to it really being about the thoughts that we have about ourselves that then create the beliefs that we embrace. And that causes us to act or not act in certain ways based upon what we believe. And as a therapist of over 20 years, I've loved being a therapist. And I felt in about four years ago, like I hit a brick wall, meaning that to take my clients beyond what they know, what they've been living and taking myself beyond my own paradigm and my own belief system, like wondering what can I offer to help us continue to evolve and transform in a unique way to go beyond the story of our limitation and specifically beyond the story of our traumas, of our disappointments, of our losses. And I felt kind of stuck myself in my own personal life. And I saw it, I turned to meditation and just kind of asked, you know, what, what is there? And I, I heard the word Chiron kind of float through my mind, C-H-I-R-O-N. And I knew Chiron to be the archetypal wounded healer that Carl Jung wrote about in, in his work. And I was like, okay. So I Googled it and I started to learn that Chiron in astronomy is a minor planet slash comet that has an elliptical orbit between Saturn and Uranus. And the elliptical orbit was unique for astronomers because it was like an ellipsis, like an oval. And they called Chiron the first of the centaur class of minor planets. And that led me to find that Chiron in Greek mythology is a centaur and the founding father of the healing arts who embodied both animal instinct and human consciousness, much like we do. You know, we have our impulses and our reactivity and our passions, and then we have, you know, our higher, higher functioning and making meaning and living purpose. And that led me to discover the astrological placement of Chiron in our birth charts that has to do with our limited beliefs, our areas of vulnerability, and even how we've been wounded. And I just got really excited to start researching all that. That is amazing. Um, Thank you. Like, I know for me, like, meditation was a game changer. I I kind of fought with life for 
a long time. And then I read, uh, actually it was a book by the Dalai Lama called How to See Yourself as You Really Are. Mm. And it really struck a nerve with me, like, especially the part about no self. That's really what, what, what hit me. And I decided to give it a meditation to try. And I found a, a Buddhist nun who lived nearby who ran meditation classes. And I've been meditating ever since. And it, it, it was just something that clicked with me because learning that I was not my thoughts was huge, you know? And, and I you think that's is. something that, that, that could really help a lot of people. I think what you're saying is so important. I like the way you said you, you were fighting life for a while because I similarly felt like I was fighting myself even. Like the thoughts in my head, oh, beating yeah. myself up, feeling like I'm not doing good enough. And meditation helped me to really quiet those thoughts. And, and I feel such immense peace in the stillness and the silence and to cultivate that ability to sit with oneself. I, I use a mix of guided meditations with words, music, and sitting silently, depending on what I feel like I need that morning to help me kind of drop into that space. So I really like how you said fighting life. Like I was able to, to stop that pattern. And when it comes up, I have a tool now to maybe in the middle of the day, sit down for five minutes. If I notice I'm starting to kind of fight myself or life again. Right. Yeah. Like one of the, the ways I like to put it is for a long time, um, my, my, my thoughts in my brain controlled me rather than me controlling my thoughts in my brain. You know, I was just thinking of that today, Gary, when I went on a walk, like having a talk with myself that like I'm in charge of these thoughts and I really want them to support me and, and feel good and support me to really imagine wonderful things happening. I was literally just a couple hours ago having that inner dialogue. Right. Yeah. It, it's really amazing. Um, and then like the obvious, the next step is I realize that those thoughts and everything that goes through my head is creates my reality because my reality is all created by my thoughts. And if I control my thoughts, I can control my reality. And then all of a sudden I'm not a victim anymore. Yes. And I think for, for people, for listeners to really get that because I'm still getting that, that we do, we can create our life and life experiences through what we imagine and your title, everything imaginable is just so important because it does speak to the ability that we have as creators to imagine things as we want them to be, even if they're not looking that way in our daily lives and slowly kind of massage it into place with our thoughts and then feeling good and kind of reaching for the next better feeling thought progressively. Right. Um, so as you work, your work with a, as a, as a psychotherapist, um, how long were you doing that before you started meditating? You know, I have, I was practicing for 16 years before I started meditating. I just started a daily meditation practice four years ago. And I wonder, you know, how my life would have looked if I found it sooner, but I know I'm right where I need to be. Right. We all are. So I'm not going to resist that or feel like I missed out. Uh, it came to me at the right time where I think I was ready to just try it out. Cause I, I doubted like a lot of people that meditation can really help me. And, um, I've been such an action.
thing when I get up, I've, I've kind of forged that into my life, really fitting it in to the first thing I do, even if it's five minutes, to really start the day with an intention of things going well, of me being able to rise to the occasions. And I'll notice like you might, like little thoughts pop up or ideas that then I can send that email or call that person. And I think that's how we receive inspired direction. So we're not just efforting the hell out of everything and being so depleted. What, right. what do you find? Well, the one thing I have found is that I would say about 95% of the stuff that I think is just bullshit, really. I, 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 don't, I don't even, I, I just, there's so many of my thoughts I can just disregard it and I, I just don't need them, you know. They're they're there, yeah. and if I try to fight them, they need like my thoughts are almost like gang up on me. The harder I fight my thoughts, the harder they fight back. Um, but if I can, I just sit back and I and I chill and I let them happen and don't engage. Yeah. And when I don't engage them, they automatically go away. And I imagine you as a psychotherapist, it had to have a change on how you deal with your clients when you figured this, you know, discovered meditation. You know, I did, Gary, and I feel like I started to attract even a, a different kind of client, people that were already, you know, meditating, were already had their own kind of psycho-spiritual practices, and they were looking to deepen that connection to their inner selves and with others in their lives. And in a spiritual sense, I just started to get this flow. And I still am of clients that they, you know, they love therapy, they want therapy, but they want to incorporate meditation or they want to learn to meditate. And it's been so delightful that as I've changed, I've also attracted that kind of clientele. So it's been such a nice fit between us. As a, you know, I, I've been in therapy on and off through different, through various parts of my life. And, um, you know, now that I, I meditate, sometimes I almost question its usefulness. Okay, you what know? do you mean? Well, I, I find that, that that meditation pretty much takes care of everything. And I, I think sometimes uh, therapy aggravates the problem rather than helps it mm. and are you saying that because of how um because it's, it's constantly reopening old wounds that don't even yes. really even need to in, in fact sometimes even those type of words like a wound or um you know trauma um they're the they have an implication attached to them uh, when really more, if I, when I put them in a better context, like I just had that experience mm -hmm. rather than like it was something that happened to me. It was just, there was an experience and that was it. Just like in the, I view that the type of situations now as I uh, view my own thoughts, become much less of an issue That's without what I was the thinking. labeling. Yeah, you know, and I, I've been, again, soul searching about this a lot. And, and I it's in my book, in the beginning of my book, I talk about feeling really disenfranchised with the process of therapy of rehashing old and traumatic wounds that I started to feel disempowered in my own 
therapeutic process and with my clients, it's like what's beyond the wounds. Like I'm very familiar with what hurt me, with what was challenging, what was yeah. disappointing. You know, what's beyond this? Like what's the new story of my life that I want to start laying the groundwork for and, and living into so that I can be happier instead of revisiting and feeling that same old depression again. And so that's exactly what led me to find and discover Chiron. And in my title, it does say healing our core wounds through astrology, empathy, and self-forgiveness, mm -hmm. because I do think we need to have like a departure point. I think we need to know what that source is, you know, that's caused some patterns, caused the thoughts and behaviors that we might still engage in that disempowers us. I think once we have that awareness, then we can totally start to transform it. And so that's why I wanted the word wound in my title right. as a departure point uh -huh. in transformation. That makes perfect sense. Totally. Um, because that was, that is the one useful, one of the useful things of therapy was identifying that the pain was there or the suffering was there. Um, but, but what I think, like, I guess like, like, you know, to some of it was the time period. Like, I guess I started therapy in the mid eighties and, and so much has changed since then, you know, like back then they, they were really into just like, you know, reliving the same thing over and over again. It, it was, it was a strange model that they had. Yes. Um, you know, I think now they're, you know, Therapy has definitely um, gotten much better since then. You know, I think, and even I feel led to share this with you because it came up for me last night watching a movie and it, it I think could be controversial, but in the movie, it was people in a 12-step program mm -hmm. and how I know from attending 12-step programs for various reasons that typically the meeting starts, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict. And I remember how that always something about it just kind of didn't feel right, like the constant identification as an addict. Right. And I, I talk about in my book, Recovering from Addiction, Cocaine Addiction, and I don't identify as an addict. I see that as a, an old paradigm, and I understand why I turn to drugs to mediate depression and anxiety and low self-esteem. And yet today I don't identify as an addict. I'm free mm. from addiction and I feel really healed in that area. And to me, it would feel untrue to continue to identify myself as an addict. And so I wonder what you think, because I think some people might need that for themselves, uh -huh. but for others, you know, they might not, they might be able to let that go. And I'm just curious what you think. That's, that's interesting that you would ask me that question because um, I am in a 12-step program. And I've okay. Been, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And I've been uh, sober for uh, next month. It'll be 34 years. That's amazing. And, um, you know, I, I'm okay with, uh, you know, introducing myself at a meeting like that. You know, it's like I only got to say it once. And I don't really care. I don't really think much yeah. about it, you know. Because the rest of my day, the rest of my life, I'm just another person. Um, yeah. But I do have, <laughs> you know, and I catch a lot of heat for it, but 
I, I do have a lot of issues <laughs> with some of the stuff that's in the program with the sure. with the steps and with the uh, the religious part of it and all and all that. I, I, I think a lot of that could is outdated nonsense, and it could be completely <laughs> done away with. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's always been just, especially when I was younger, I really just needed new people to hang out with. Yeah, that that had the same goal in mind because there is, there is energy when you get a group of people together, who want to achieve the same thing, and it's just that simple. That's all it is. The rest of it is just a bunch of mumbo jumbo to sell books. Right. You know, I think what you're saying is interesting, and and my sense is that you don't have any attachment to saying I'm an alcoholic or an addict. Like, there's no traction there. It's just not even. You know, that's why I think you're able to say it and not not feel anything. Right. Is that accurate? Yeah. Because it's just it's mm-hmm. gone from your life after this many years. Well, it's not gone. I mean, I, I mean, I, honestly, like, I mean, I still think about it, and I've had, I've even had urges. Like, I've had urges where you know, or I felt it in my veins. Like, I really wanted to do it. Yeah. And uh, but what got me through was calling somebody I know and saying, "Hey, man, this is." This is how I feel and, you know, and and connecting with somebody else. For me, it's always been about the connection. I think drugs and alcohol separated me from other people, from my emotions and from my ability to connect with other people. They did for me as well. Really disconnected me. And and, and through the fellowship, I learned how to reconnect with people. Um, but, But as far as the other stuff in it, I never really connected with. It's just, for me, it's always just been clear. Going and hanging out, you know, like like to me, there's no difference between like going to a meeting or like going to a diner, you know. Okay. <laughs> to me, just, I, yeah. I don't care. It's the same thing. Cool. It's a place where you go for community and connection. Yeah. Yeah. But but, but uh, you know, one of the funny things too is up north. Like in, I'm from New Jersey originally, and up there. You know, it, that, that's kind of what it is. It's all about the community. And then I moved down here to the south, and it's completely different. How so? Um, they're really big on, the, on, the, on like, the, the 12 steps and this, in the big book and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Okay. Yeah, I think this is an interesting conversation because I was thinking of this topic last night watching the movie I was watching. Hmm. So, so, so what do you think about all that stuff about, you know, the 12 step program and like the, even the 12 steps themselves, like, like I said, like for, for me, I never got any relief from them. You know, I think that's a great question. And there were actually, I remember feeling powerless over cocaine. So for me, that first step, I think, you know, like admitting one's powerless over something, it felt really relieving to admit that to myself because I think I tried to manage and be recreational and, you know, things that other people say they're doing, um, you know, and, and it was really just a relief at, you know, years ago to, to say I'm really powerless over this and to surrender, like pretending to know how to figure this out. And I had to change like, it sounds like maybe you, my people, places, and things. Mm-hmm. And I did like as well, the fearless moral inventory. I felt like that was a helpful step for my healing to really, without judgment, or it revealed to me how much I judged myself about certain things I had done. And it helped me to 
forgive myself, which is also a huge component of my book, the theme of self-forgiveness. And just through our lives, we layer judgment upon judgment against ourselves and to really go through and unravel that and forgive truly and deeply the things we've done and haven't done because we really make sense and context of what's going on in our lives at any given moment that fuel our decision making or lack thereof. So I feel like now these years later, I'm able to truly embrace self-forgiveness in a way that was harder in my past, but that those steps helped me to start considering. That's good. You know, I I, I think too, Like I can't. I I got sober when I was nineteen, so I was still very young and, and, and still really wild and, and, and rebellious. Um, so I think that sometimes too, that's one of the reasons why. Like I think some people who um are older and more mature mm-hmm. get get better results from it. Yeah, I can see that. You know, I think it's a good template. I mean, I'm a believer in taking what works and I know the 12 step is a formalized, you know, this is a program. And so again, to each his own, I Mm -hmm. also talk in my book for people to really be individualized in their healing. And, you know, it's not a one, a one cookie cutter approach fits all, which I, you know, I see sometime the 12 step program being that, you know, this fits all. And (laughs) for some people it does, and that's awesome. And for some, it doesn't. So I think do what you need to do so you can heal and recover. Yeah. Whatever. I, I, I I always emphasize that there's like three parts to it. And and most people will always connect to, to, to one of the three parts, you know, either, either the psychological aspect, which is the steps, the spiritual aspect of it or the fellowship aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, it was definitely the fellowship. Yeah, I can see that because it, it helps you connect back to yourself and others. And that's when I believe we feel the happiest when we're really connected to each other Yeah, and yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And, and for me too, especially in early, in the, you know, the early part of it, I was not the best, uh, judge of my own thoughts or my own actions and i needed to bounce that stuff off of other people who understood my craziness Mm -hmm. yeah i can see that being helpful um so how does as as a therapist you know it's kind of interesting i've never talked to a therapist who's into meditation and recovery this is actually a first Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad to be that person. <laughs> um, so, so how about that, like, like the spiritual aspect of it? Do, do you think that uh, spiritual growth is important for people that are in recovery? I do. It, it's been such a, a way that, you know, when sometimes people aren't available as we'd like them to be, that we can always turn to spirit that I can always turn to spirit, to comfort me, to, to align myself with solution and, and just even feeling loved, feeling supported. Cause I think there are times when we all feel alone, even if we're surrounded by people. So Mm -hmm. I think the spiritual connection and, and aspect of life can really help us stay plugged into a, 
a deeper sense of how loved we are, no matter what we're doing or not doing, that unconditional love. It's, it's not based upon the conditions of our lives. It's, it's just there because we are taking breath. And I've been connecting to that presence more and more each day as a way to really sustain myself. And I find it to be just so important. Hmm. Um, how, how do you feel about the, the higher power aspect of recovery? Like it's very Christianized. And that's one of the things that's always really, really bothered me. You know, at the time when I was attending meetings, um, and there was a time in my life as well, Gary, that I went to a very uh, Christian, like non-denominational church. And I thought at the time that was what I needed. And then I started to feel a real disconnection from the church and their doctrines when I realized I was gay. And they were completely unaccepting of that. And yeah, and just wanted me to, you know, repent and just be with a an opposite sex partner Mm -hmm. and the feelings will go away. You know, I certainly tried that and the feelings didn't go away. And I started to realize there are other options. And it took me some years to realize that God loves all people, including gay people, bisexual people, that it's just humans that put all these judgments on ourselves and others because we're different and they're scared about someone different from them a lot of the time. So I had to do a lot of work around just my relationship to God, to spirit, that it wasn't like a punishing um, presence or male, like father that is just out to, you know, just wait up, wait for me to slip up and test me. And it's, you know, not until even when I started meditating four years ago and finding a course in miracles, which is a text that helps you shift. It's a mind training Mm -hmm. to shift from fear to love. And and just starting to really like read those kind of materials and and totally have a different experience of God and of spirit in a way that was very healing for me. I wonder, I wonder for you and what you think about what I'm saying. I totally agree. Uh, you know, my my two I have two really big issues with uh, Christianity, and one is the idea of hell. <laughs> they begin with I think it's right. completely absurd. Yeah, <laughs> and a judgment against uh, people's sexual preference. Like, like I really don't think God cares where I put my Johnson. Yeah. You know, totally. <laughs> it's, it's, it's completely bizarre. It doesn't make any yeah. sense at all. I, I mean, yeah. you know, we're we're here to have an experience and, and to be who we are and, and and to love each other no matter what. It's it doesn't make any sense at all. And, no, uh, it doesn't. Yeah, and, and that's definitely one of the things that's really, really bothered. I mean, I, I am glad now, like at least with the Catholic Church, that that um, Pope Francis is cool with it. You know, yeah. Is, you know, I, I think that's really a good thing. It's step in the right direction. It is to evolve from the more archaic and limiting beliefs about who we can be in this life experience when it's so rich with diversity. I mean, and God is love. You know, I think every tradition, religion, you know, talks about God being love and love is patient and kind and unconditional and doesn't care about who you're in the bed with. 
No, <laughs> it's ridiculous, really. Yeah. You know, and, and, I, and the idea of punishment is ridiculous. Like, like, like we're human. It, it, it's almost in our nature to 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 screw up. Right. It's who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just even just knowing that, I think for me anyway, makes it a lot easier to forgive other people. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely a journey. The forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, and then being able to hold that space for others when they might be unconscious of their own wounds, their own shadow. You know, as we know, it's hurt people that hurt others, and we've all been you know, we've all experienced hurt and we've all hurt someone else's feelings. It's part of our human condition. I think it's to have the awareness to make amends when possible, when you have the awareness, like, wow, I slipped up here and I'm so sorry I hurt you. And the more we do that with each other, I think the the more connected and happier we'll be. True. Absolutely true. Um. So, so what is it like now for you? Um, like when you do th- therapy sessions with people, yeah, do you tend to take a spiritual approach with your with your clients now, or at least inquire about it? Well, you know, Gary, I definitely still start where the person is when mm-hmm. they come in for a first appointment. I always want to know what got you to call, email, or text because that's the most important material because it's like live, it's living right now within them. And so I always want to start there and then kind of work definitely with belief systems. I do inquire like, hey, tell me about your spirituality, your belief system or, or not around that just to assess, you know, how big of a part or small of a, of a part is that to a person? Um, and if they're interested in developing, you know, self-care practices like meditation, mindfulness, and spirituality, because some people might find that in nature, you know, and not particularly see themselves, you know, as a spiritual person. So I think it's unique. I like to really just see where a person is and build from there to help them be healthier and shift patterns. Hmm. Um. So, so do you follow like the, the typical, you know, the, the questions first? Like you ask them a whole bunch of questions to find out where they are? You know, usually when people come in, they're, they're quite forthcoming because it's typically something that's happened or that they've been ignoring or neglecting that's finally come to a head, be it a relationship issue, an issue typically with another person or with themselves. So I like to spend time there, like, you know, how have you tried to address this issue or this problem? And always, always asking, like, how do you take care of yourself? And and what I mean by that is, do you journal? Do you exercise? Do you turn to alcohol or drugs, sex? Like what, how do you take the edge off? You know, when you're sad, when you're angry, because that helps me have insight into their coping skills. And oftentimes people need some better coping skills than what they're doing. And so that's always a place to start um, and help a client strengthen themselves in that area. Because you don't want to open up, for instance, trauma, sexual abuse, violence, family of origin, violence, when they don't have a way to, to mediate the sadness or the anger. You know, you want to make sure that a person's able to open up those issues and care for themselves so they're not re-traumatized 
by the emotions coming back up again. Right. You know, I don't think I've ever met an addict, an addict or alcoholic that didn't experience, experience sexual abuse as a child. You know, I feel like myself as well. There's, there's been a trauma link to addiction and the people I've worked with as well. Yeah. I think any, anytime somebody says that they, that doesn't like, like if somebody says, doesn't want to bring that up. Like I know that they, it's happened, you know, because yeah. if there's a common denominator in in drug and alcohol addiction, it's definitely sexual abuse. Because addiction, alcohol, drugs are such an effective way to self-medicate and disconnect from that painful experience. I mean, it's like effective, it's reliable, they're accessible. So it makes sense that, that you know, people, young people turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with things like sexual abuse and trauma to just, uh, you know, not to not feel that shit for a while. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's not even abuse. Sometimes, um, I think people just feel shame around that subject, you know, especially like things that they do is when they're younger or experimenting as children, they just feel shame. Right. You know, and that's, again, my book reveals it, are, are places where we feel, you know, vulnerability up to and including deep shame for things about ourselves. And in the book, I guide you through a process of opening those places up, doing that excavation and, and journaling about, about those things and how you felt the beliefs you created about yourself as a result of those experiences and working through them to support yourself in healing and forgiving yourself. And, yeah, that's a part of the book, like the self-help guiding portion. Hmm. So, so that's what you recommend in your book for the, is the people to journal? Yeah, there's journal prompts all through it. Like I share some of my story enough to just help you connect to your own mm -hmm. experiences. And I invite you to, to write about your own memories that come up as you're reading about some of my experiences and how, you know, you might have handled things. And so, yeah, throughout the book, it's like, I encourage people get a candle, have a journal, spend 15, 20 minutes at a time reading. So you can be really thoughtful and it's not a novel that you rush through because it's, it really helps you get in touch with the deeper layers of yourself. And it helps you to grow, to really be more accepting and loving and feel happier. That's what it's done for me. And even writing this book over the last nearly four years. What if somebody doesn't like to write? Then they can just think about it. They can just be reflective. I mean, it's going to get you to think. Uh -huh. So as long as you're conscious of your thoughts, that's good enough. Hmm. So I guess that's the beginning. I don't know. I just think that shame, self-hatred, anger... They're all big problems that, that people struggle with. And I know from my from my own experience, um it's been just uh I don't know, just just letting them go, really. More 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 letting them go and in forgiveness. Yeah. I think we're able, Gary, to let it go when we do forgive ourselves. And really let ourselves off the hook. Like, shit, 
I really did the best I could. I mean, come on. It's time to, again, what is the new story I want to tell about myself? Like, what did I learn from this? Obviously, I didn't know to do anything differently or I would have. And so to truly put down that stick of beating yourself over the head about it, that Mm -hmm. doesn't promote change. We think that punishment, as you mentioned earlier, and, and judgment cause people to change. It just causes people to feel like shit about themselves and stay in that same pattern of disempowerment. It's through like encouragement and coaching, like, come on, what can you do differently? How can you respond differently instead of react? Like really encouraging yourself down the path of change. That's how we actually heal and change. How about releasing emotion, like negative emotion? Like, uh, you know, like one of the funny things, like uh, one of the misconceptions that people have about Buddhists is that Buddhists are like these super uh, peaceful, nonviolent guys who just hang out in the monastery. And they completely disregard, like, you know, that, that they're also the same people that have created martial arts. Mm. You know, and, and, and they do. Yeah. They, like, 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 rather than, you know, getting angry and going to war... It's like they almost make make it into like a fun game. That's so interesting. Okay, say more about that. And so just the duality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like what I think is, you know, outlets are important. I think like rather than fighting with negative emotions, I think uh, just rechanneling them in a different way can be actually more useful. You know, I do. And I'm a big practicer of of uh, writing things and burning them in the sink. I find it so cathartic. I encourage, it seems like every client at some point in our work together, like take that shit, write it down and burn it in your sink, releasing, like seeing the flame, smelling the smoke, I think does wonders to release, you know, things you're angry at others about, or you feel shame around, like you were literally watching it go up in smoke. And that does something to our psychology to start to really loosen um, shame and anger and rage and all kinds of emotions that can become debilitating and cause health problems just unattended to. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose. I, I, I know for me, uh, probably my best outlet has been music. Okay, you tell know, me about that. Well, like I, when, I was, when I was younger, I was really, really angry. You know, I mean, it's just, actually, like, the anger thing seems to run to my family. <laughs> Everybody in my okay. family is just angry, and um, but it was through music, like 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 playing like like hardcore punk and you know slam dancing and stage diving. It, it just gave me like this a physical outlet, you know, and, and I was also once again I was in a community of people. That 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 yes. we're all releasing that same intense emotion at the same time, and you know, and I'm still friends with a lot of these people. It, like a lot of us have ended up way healthier than most other people have, and most of us you all know, all now meditate too. That's awesome. You know, there is such a connection between the physical release of emotion and, and health that I'm such a big believer. I'm a, I was a fitness instructor on the side for 12 years and I love encouraging clients to just physically work it out of your body, especially 
especially anger, people tend to feel like, you know, I can't feel this anger and you can feel it safely in the gym, throwing those weights around and imagining you are fucking taking it out on whatever person right. or situation in your imagination and connect the, the, the situation with your physical activity. And it's very cathartic to move it from your body. Anxiety as well. Anxiety wants to move through your body to be released instead of suppressed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm such a believer as well of connecting, you know, the, the, the memories, the experiences with physical movement to get it out of you and release it. Yes. Yeah. Like it was funny because I started meditating, like when I started going to those meditation classes, I thought I would not know anybody there. And I go there and I'm like, there's all these people that, <laughs> that I used to go like to go to punk shows with. <laughs> and we're all no sitting way. around. That's and now so we're all cool. and now we're all just sitting around meditating and going home. <laughs> wow. That's awesome that you all found this practice at the same time. And in your own ways. It, it seems to be pretty common, you know. There's, there's actually a, so quite a few books out, too, written by people who've had like that same type of experience. Of, of oh, finding uh, meditation? Yeah, yeah. That, 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 they started out angry and, you know, that, that did the, you know, the music thing and the punk thing. And then later on, they found, you know, spirituality and Buddhism in meditation. Yeah. I think anger, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable often to feel a lot of anger. And I don't know anyone that really enjoys being angry. And I think to find an effective way to release anger and still feel in your power, I think meditation is one of the mm -hmm. tools that, that can do that for you. It can. It, it, what it does is it helps me recognize the thoughts and what anger really is, which is just energy. And mm -hmm. when I recognize it's just energy, you know, not, not, and I look back at it as, as, as a young man, I also probably recognized it as energy, but I didn't know I was doing that, you know, and I was yeah. releasing it. And I found the way to make that negative emotion actually feel good. That's cool. It was pretty cool. Um, so with, with your book, like what else is, uh, like, like how are you, what is the like like the astrology part of it? Sure, the astrology part of it is there's an interactive website where you can enter your date of birth, your place of birth, and time of birth if you have it, and that will generate a Chiron in your astrological chart, which is which indicates one of twelve areas of vulnerability or core wounding, however you want to call it, and that includes like. Um, devaluing your own self, like mm -hmm. doubting your value and worth or wounding by being neglected or wounding by abandonment. And there's 12 of those placements. And while, you know, when you've lived enough life, you've certainly experienced a rejection and abandonment, you know, feeling low self-esteem. These are things that we deal with just as we live our lives, but there might be one area that you seem to have developed a pattern around, like a core wounding in your sense of value and worth, no matter what your success might be, your professional success, how you look on paper, you know, you're not feeling connected to that mm -hmm. successful person that you are. You feel like you have to keep achieving and performing and you never quite 
feel like you've made the mark and how how hard that is to live in the constant pursuit of achievement but never letting yourself feel it so having that understanding about yourself you can start to really change that pattern and shift into a place of instead of efforting for achievement to sit back learn i introduce meditation there as a tool to allow life to come more to you instead of you going after it and focusing some of your energy on more pleasurable things in your life because you might have sacrificed some of those pleasures to achieve the things you thought would make you happy that do momentarily but not deeply fulfilling so that you know my book i talked to you about helping find true fulfillment in your life that's just a practical example mm -hmm. and so people will be able to to see where their chiron is in their birth chart and then read about that particular placement and I give practical takeaway steps, five or six of them. And then I give specific affirmations that you can write down on a sticky note and carry around and really start creating new belief systems for yourself. Is there a link to this on your website? Yeah. If you go to my website, nolatherapy.com, there's a button that says, I think, order my book. And there's a write-up about it with the interactive website for people to check out. Let's see. What are your before they buy it. My cryon. All right. I'm going to give this a try. See yeah. Let me do it. Let's see. Is it going to email it to me or? Actually, do you, do you mean to find your chiron? Is that what you're talking about? Yep. That's what I'm doing. Here, it might Let's help if see. I do it for you since I'm more familiar with how the plugin works because it can take some time. Um, uh, so, look, I'm going to pull it up and I will look. Here's up for you. It's a button. Order my book. Yeah, I found you, it. You scroll down to the very bottom to the blue bar. My Chiron. And look, I'll I'll enter your info, Gary, if you want. Let me sure. Know. Are you comfortable giving me your birthday? Yeah, yeah. What it's is it? December thirtieth, nineteen sixty-seven. Okay, December thirtieth. Let me just enter. 1967. Do you know the time that you were born? 5 a.m. Okay. 5 a.m. And where were you born? Princeton, New Jersey. Princeton. Let's see. Princeton. Okay. Let's go there. Princeton, New Jersey. Let me go next. And next, so let's see, your Chiron. Oh, that's so interesting. Chiron and Pisces in the fourth house. So Chiron and Pisces speaks to um, self-care. It's a core wounding in self-care in the immaterial world. And this is a placement where, and let me just turn to it so I'm not, so I'm being accurate. Mm -hmm. This means in the material world, your core wounds center on your struggle with self-care. And in your immaterial world, your core wounds were caused by early development experiences of victimization and betrayal. 
and these wounds have affected your ability to believe that there can be fairness in the world, which is really important to you. And this disappointment may have led you to feel intense loss and grief, and you really long for a world that feels safe for you to inhabit. And because of this, there's a propensity for addictions in this placement of Chiron. And so wounded Chiron feels victimized, caught in addictive habits, overly selfless. You might overgive to be loved, and you end up feeling really depleted. And then healed Chiron, when you do the work of healing these wounds, you feel you're able to create healthy boundaries. You are nurturing towards yourself. You start to really trust in your intuition, and you might even be a highly sensitive or empath on that spectrum. Is any of that ringing true for you? Oh, yeah, it's all true. Okay. And then the the fourth house has to do with your sense of home, both the home you grew up in, your family of origin, and the one that you've created for yourself, and that sector and area of your life being really important. And it's where the wounding and vulnerability manifested. And it's where you can really effort your action to make sure, you know, you have a home that you really love emotionally, psychologically, and even just visually having a Mm -hmm. nice home. Is that important to you? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. That's just an overview. My house was a little crazy growing up. I figured that reading that it's Chiron and Pisces. That's the case in this placement. Interesting. Yeah, that was spot on. Amazing. Thank you. And an affirmation, some of the affirmations for you are, I am loved. I am connected. My contributions are significant. I step out of fear and into love. And I allow myself to experience connection, which is what you talked about earlier in the show about finding community in your recovery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and people with Chiron and Pisces, they tend to be really creative like you are. It's no surprise seeing this now that you have a podcast because these people tend to really find their healing through being of service. And to give you an example, Mother Teresa had her Chiron and Pisces. And we know like the amazingness her memory even continues to do for others. So it's about balancing your desire and real need to give and add value with taking care of yourself. Hmm. Amazing. Thanks. Yeah. I, mean, I would say the only thing that's a little bit off is the fear part. I, I, for some, and I, and I think I might be unusual because I don't really feel fear that much. Well, that's great. And again, every aspect might not yeah. be, what you've experienced so you can take what works and leave the rest yeah you know, everything else was spot on cool you know and the image i give for chiron and pisces people to remember in their in approaching their lives is when you get on an airplane and the flight attendant says put on your oxygen mask first and then assist others in the event of an emergency that that's kind of like your mental picture in your mind like take care of you first and then give from mm. from the overflow as much as you can. That's good. I hope Thanks. I, I hope I can accomplish that. Well, I feel like you are by the way you give in this show and even your title, Everything Imaginable. I'm curious how you came up with that name, Gary. 
You know, the whole podcast was just sort of happened on a whim. I was uh, taking a shower one day because of COVID. Like I've been feeling, I was feeling uncreative because I haven't been able to play music out or do anything really. And I was taking a shower. And I said, like, you know what? Maybe I'll just start a podcast. <laughs> and it just popped into my head. And uh, I, wow. ordered, I ordered a mic and I started the podcast. And now I'm almost 160 <laughs> episodes into it. That's awesome. And uh, it's, it's a great time. I've gotten to connect with lots of really cool people and talk about interesting things. And maybe even uh, with some of my guests, I'm actually planning on doing, going out and doing some interesting, interesting things. <laughs> That's awesome. Likewise here, my podcast has connected me with so many amazing people that I never would have met Gary. And some of them have become friends. And I'm just so happy that I decided my five-year anniversary of All Things Therapy podcast is coming up in March. And I remember feeling like, oh my God, I just want to start a podcast, but I was scared shitless at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I know when I feel fear and desire that it's like, okay, you just have to do this. And, um, you know, like to ask my first guest, can I interview you? And just from from there, I have tomorrow, I think will be episode like 235. Oh, wow. That's a lot. So it's been great. Like when we really stretch ourselves, amazing things happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of episodes. Thank you. Yeah. Once <laughs> a week for five years with the exception of a few holidays. Uh-huh. I do... Five a week. Oh my gosh! Like you're my that third. That is a lot. You're my th you know work full time. Like you're my third one today. You shared that earlier. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's, it's all about creating like a really good body of content. I think for me. Yeah. And in in podcasting too there's sort of a, a magic number of episodes that you have to hit before you really start getting noticed or showing up better in the search uh search things like on apple and stuff okay but yeah it's cool so so cool. so so what are some of the things what are some of your most interesting podcast episodes you know, sometimes it'll be surprising, Gary, because I'll think someone I'm I've, I'm about to interview because maybe I like love their book or they're really kind of like prolific out in the mind, body and spirit, you know, genre of authors and teachers. And sometimes it's been those individuals that I'm like, ah, oh, like I didn't really feel a connection with, mm -hmm. but it'll be like one of my favorite one of my favorite interviews that for me was so unique and he's was su he's such a unique man is David Ritz, R-I-T-Z. He co-wrote the song Sexual Healing with Marvin Gaye. That's cool. And yeah, he's ghostwritten for Aretha Franklin, for um, oh my God, pretty much every major musician that has lived. He has ghostwritten their book and he was just so you know, rich with, and just an unusual guy, like definitely the beat of his own drum is how he lives. And I just was so happy to be connected with him because um, he's just such a unique character. I really loved that interview. That's fantastic. I'm going to have to go listen to that one. 
Yeah, David Ritz. And his book is really good. It has to do with he wrote his, a book about his own life and journey of how hanging out with Marvin Gaye and those people back then and partying with them. And he recovered. He's in recovery now. And how, you know, many of them died because of their addiction and how he managed to to turn from addiction and writing for him is spiritual. Like for him, that's a spiritual experience to write. And he was just really profound, like really deep. Uh-huh. And as a musician, I think you might like hearing his story. Yeah. I'll listen to it. And it's maybe. called, it's called the God groove. That's his book. The God hmm. G O D groove G R O O V E. Maybe I can get him on my podcast. Yeah, totally. I can send an email to connect y'all. He was just yeah. really, awesome have you ever had a guest that you didn't want to talk to like like you got into the conversation you're just like oh oh man you know i can tell you get there there was you don't you don't have to say who it was yeah it was a very conservative (laughs) guest that i didn't expect they would be so conservative Uh about about relationships and actually i their publicist reached out about how the guest um is very conservative. And I said, well, I have a large like LGBTQ following and I wanted to talk about same sex relationships in the context of his book he wrote about relationships and marriages. And so I told the publicist, like, I'm not gonna shrink back from that topic of same sex couples. And if he wasn't comfortable, you know, I don't have to interview him. And the publicist is like, no, it's okay. And so I asked him some of those questions and it just was, you know, he revealed how conservative he was about believing those relationships aren't aren't right aren't moral so it was interesting because i just believe so differently and it was kind of hard you know hearing that and talking to him it Uh wasn't my most pleasant experience but i'm glad that i stood my my belief system and didn't change the interview to accommodate what he believes is right yeah, yeah. So something like that would kind of give you like a little knot in my stomach to have to listen to yeah. somebody like that and have yeah. them on my show. Uh, yeah, that that's a tough one. I, I I've had two. I did one. Uh, he was a QAnon guy. Oh wow! And, and I never put it out. <laughs> okay, you didn't feel like it would be helpful to put it out. I feel like it would be harmful. So. <laughs> Just not what I wanted to put out there. And then I had another one. And and it was weird because he was a comic book guy. He drew comic Hmm. book stuff. And he just totally freaked out on me. What do you mean? Um, Well, I guess it was like around the election or something. And um, and he was like a, actually, I mean, he was really a, a super liberal guy. And he started talking about voting and stuff. And I said, well. I don't like the vote because I don't like the division of it. You know, I don't like the two party okay. system. Either party represents what I believe. So I just choose not to partake. I just want to be friends with everyone, you know? Yeah. And, and, he, and he just, he went off on me saying, I'm like the entire, like the, the country is falling apart because of people like me. <laughs> wow. Like really attacked you. Yeah. He went off like position. a good, a good 20 minutes. He went off on me. You there? Oh yeah, I'm here now. Oh yeah, it, right. lost it you for a second. For a yeah, 
so I was yeah. wondering what's an interview you've really loved doing. Uh, geez, there's actually been so many that I've really loved. Um, hmm. That's a tough one. I, I, I mean, my, my most surprising guest was definitely Lon Milo Duquette. I was really surprised that he agreed to come on my show because he doesn't really do that many. Um, he, he's okay. a, he's an occultist. He took over Aleister Crowley's organization, the OTO. Oh my gosh! Okay. And, okay. Uh, and, and he was just fascinating. He was super, super nice. It was really, you know, it was like one of those things. Like I, I can't believe I'm talking to this person. Um. Yeah. And uh, another one would be PMH Atwater. I was really surprised that she came on my show. She's uh, okay. she's like the first person to really study uh, life after death phenomena from like an academic point of view. Cool. So so she was pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I, I I've gotten to interview so many people that that like you know influenced me like when I was younger. Their books and I would just go and ask them, and they would come on. I'm like I, I can't believe it. Like, like I'm. You know, your your books kind of made me who I am, you know? And now here I am talking Gary, yes, to you. Yes, yes. So it's just been Even my great. first podcast, for me to the first podcast I ever did, All Things Therapy, first episode, I reached out to an author, Jeffrey, Dr. Jeffrey Kotler. He wrote a book called On Being a Therapist. I've read it so many times over the last 20 years of my career. I found it in grad school and I read it and he talked about how like, you know, your clients come in sniffly and coughing and you're thinking like, oh my God, are you fucking serious? You're really coming in with this cold, like kind of what you're thinking in your own head, you know, and then you'll get sick and how you're going to, you know, you're potentially going to catch your clients colds. And, and it wasn't until I started actually seeing people in person, I was like, oh my gosh, like he's so right on about like our own reactions to the clients we work with and serve and just being really honest with yourself, what they are and working with that in your own therapy or through your own methods to make sure you're being authentic with yourself. And, you know, when appropriate, sometimes you can bring that material in like, Hey, I had this reaction to what you said last time. Because oftentimes other people in that client's life have had that reaction. So it helps you really work with them through it in real time. So Dr. Kotler was my first guest and it was like so awesome because he really shaped and influenced a positive way as a therapist. Oh, that's fantastic. It's great to be able to do that, to be able to talk to people that, that have influenced you. Totally. It's so rewarding. You know who I was... You know, he, he wasn't on my show, but the person who disappointed me the most, I'm going to have to say, was Deepak Chopra. Oh, how so? He wanted me to pay him. Oh. <laughs> like, wow. like he responded to my email. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, well, he, 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 I forget the word. He didn't say pay me, but he asked me for something. And I said, well, I have a large listenership and I'll send you lots of good vibes and stuff, you know? And, he, oh, was, wow. he was like, sorry, dude, I don't have time for that. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, I've, I've interviewed like some of his peers, like Marianne Williamson, who's wrote <clears throat> 11 New York Times bestsellers. Uh-huh. And, um, oh my gosh, uh, um, like John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Oh, yeah. And they were so generous with their time 
you know, to, to take the 45 minutes with me and, you know, didn't ask for anything. It was just awesome right? to spend that time with them. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised, you know, considering that, yeah. you know, he was supposed to be like this super guru, you know. Well, I hope he's changed that and just goes on shows for the for the love of it. Well, maybe it's because I'm not Oprah. I don't know. <laughs> There's so much variance. You know, I've been enjoying going on all kinds of podcasts since my book has come out a few months ago. It, it's brand new for me, Gary, because I've always been the interviewer and now being interviewed and having these conversations it's like the happiest thing one of the happiest things in my life that it felt really odd at first and i wonder for you when you've been interviewed has it felt kind of weird with the shoe on the other foot it did but now i'm getting i'm pretty used to it now yeah it doesn't phase me as much in the beginning it did have you have you been interviewed by somebody you didn't like oh that's a good question or or felt like they weren't like you know being fair or something no yeah, there was one interview that um, I felt like we didn't have a resonance. Like she asked the question and within seconds would kind of talk over me to move into the next question. And there were really big questions that had very metaphysical topics that you needed more than five to seven seconds to answer. So I felt kind of rushed. And one of the questions I said, I, I don't even have, I don't have an answer for that. I think it's okay to be authentic and say yeah. when we don't know something. And when I re-listened to the interview, I was like, man, I actually did a great job in the moment. I felt kind of stressed uh-huh. and, um, you know, felt like we just didn't have, we weren't in sync. And I felt like I wasn't coming across well for listeners to really understand. But then when I listened to it, it was fine. So I think, again, the judgment of ourself is what I realized. We can be so hard on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That hasn't happened to me yet. When I've thought, thought an interview that was, well, maybe one. Greg Borenstein. Yeah. Greg Borenstein drilled me. Okay. Drilled you about what? All kinds of weird stuff. He asked me questions <laughs> that had nothing to do with anything. Well. Wow. But I did get revenge on him because I had him on my show and <laughs> and I made him I made him he, I made him read a Shakespeare monologue. So. No way! <laughs> and I kept cutting them off. Like I kept disconnecting my Zoom, and he didn't make him do it over again. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, Gary, that that's funny. Yeah, it that's was hysterical. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> wow! We, we've become friends since then. <laughs> Oh, cool. It worked out. Yeah. But it, it's interesting. I, I That's why I like the longer format show, though. And that's why I do it this way. Because I want to give my chan- my guests a chance to speak. It's, I, I want to make it about them. And I want them to have the time. I, I, I don't like having a half hour or an hour time limit. You know? Yeah, I appreciate that. Because it allows us to just kind of settle in. I feel like I'm sitting on the couch with you, like having a tea or a coffee or a glass of wine, like just getting to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like this kind of format where I don't have to worry about it, you know, cause I just, I, I want to give, I don't like, I also don't like it when hosts constantly are putting their own opinion in rather than the guests. Yeah. Yeah. I like the engagement though. Like I'm even curious for you, have you written a book or is that something on your, horizon i do have a book 
Okay. My, my book has been out for a while. It's about six years old. Okay. It's called Enlightenment Guaranteed, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. Oh, cool. Then maybe would you come on my show to talk about it? Of course. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. Um, looking back at the, my own book, though, there's things that I would change now. If I write another one, it's going to be different. I felt I oh, feel like I, I only scratched the surface. Yeah, and six years out from it, certainly there would be more. Do you plan to do a revised version or a second book addressing some of those things you've realized? Not really. Okay. No, if if, if I do another book, it's going to be about the supernatural. Yes. Because I would like, like, like most of my podcasts have been about like supernatural stuff, you know. Para- in, in what way? Oh, paranormal. Got, para- paranormal, out of body experience, um, Bigfoot, UFOs, conspiracies, um, multi dimensional consciousness, quantum physics, spooky distance, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Ancient archaeology, where origins of the human race. There, there, there's so much <laughs> that we That's don't cool. know. <laughs> there is, and there's so much to tap into. You know, even this morning, my publicist lives in Germany. And so when it's morning in New Orleans, it's evening in Germany. Mm-hmm. And we scheduled a time to sit in meditation and meet in the quantum field. So for me, it was 9.30 a.m. this morning. And for her, I think it was... 4 30 or 5 30 p.m and we took 10 minutes to um i sat in the field with her metaphysically and just held her intention some things she shared through email that she would like to manifest and experience so i set a timer for 10 minutes and really focused on you know just aligning with her in these in these manifestations and then she took 10 minutes to intend my desires to come true and then we emailed afterwards you know what we thought, what we felt. And it was super cool how you can support each other and that way to meet in the quantum field since we are all connected to, to really intend things for each other. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's like the uh, several stuff that I would like to put in another book. Like I, th- I think for now I'm going to be taking my podcast transcripts and uh, just editing them. And okay. put some of those out as books. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. So I think like the first day I'm going to do is going to be like a life after death. Because I've done so many of those episodes. Okay. And, and I think it's an important topic. I think it's important that people know that they're not just a body. Yes. Yes. When I hear people say that that's what they believe, it's hard for me not to feel, I don't know, like a sense of sadness. around that that to me there's so much more there's another dimension around us even and certainly when we're non-physical we will fully be there and you know until then it's like tapping into that non-physical realm and just living our lives in touch with that and the powers that are offered there so have you ever had like an out-of-body experience or do you do any type of astral travel like when you did a meet in the quantum field like how do you do that was like what's your technique 
Yeah, I feel like I actually travel all the time. Like, and it happens in meditation where I feel like I'm, you know, outside in the atmosphere over the earth and I see other luminaries. Like, I, I've felt, you know, Buddha there and certain authors. Um, and just so, like, all of us are there actually. Once I had this vision of like a grid and how we're all connected on this grid. And I guess in my human mind, you know, the, the most I can imagine is like a grid in outer space. Because again, we're confined to this, our understanding of people, place and things and matter. So for me, it was a grid and I'm one dot on the grid connecting below to someone else. And it was like this beautiful illuminated map of everyone on this grid connected. And it was like this, like I felt this love, like this unconditional love that I was receiving and that I was sending. And it was like this very profound and deeply just awesome feeling experience. And it hasn't come back in that visceral way, like that one time. But it's like I have a kind of a snap, a faded memory of that, just truly how connected we are. Absolutely. That's great. How about you? Thank you. How about you? Um, you know, astral travel is something that I've been trying to work on. You know, I think I do it in my sleep. Cause, you know, I definitely have some lucid dreams. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like I've I've had an out of body experience when I had an epileptic seizure. Okay. And, and what happened there? I was like in a in a tunnel with a bunch of colors and stuff. It was really nice though. It was peaceful. You know. Once I do believe that once you let go of your body, um, a lot of the fear and emotion that's attached to it doesn't exist yeah it's you're still the same you're still your awareness but you don't have the baggage Mm. and it's really nice it's kind of relaxing actually i felt that in meditation this morning with when i was holding the intentions for nina like i felt this yeah like this peace like really separate from the body and the concerns of like everything, like all needs were met. It was like this total, like everything's taken care of. It was such a profound sense of it's all well and done and just live as happy as you can, trusting that things are being tended to. And I really like felt that to be true 100%. So, so is that your kind of goal is to kind of get that message out to the world that they can don't have to live such I don't know, it was like such dense emotions and feelings. That they can be light, they can be free, you don't have to suffer as much. Yeah, because that's been my personal journey. Growing up in a home where there was a lot of fear and abuse and, you know, the the teaching that like you work hard now and then, you know, maybe you'll get to enjoy it before you die when you're old. You know, I'm really taking that into my young adulthood. Like you just have to you know, achieve and, and happiness is secondary and really coming into in the last, I don't know, seven years that like happiness is now like you can achieve and be successful and be happy. You can have it all. You don't have to give up, for instance, happiness or pleasure for achievement and success. However, you might define that and success being defined differently. Like we can all define that differently for ourselves. And so really just remaking my relationship to all those topics that I would love for people to know through definitely like self-forgiveness and empathy for yourself and others that 
it's like the doorway to peace and happiness. Uh Do you think peace and happiness is success? I do for sure. Yeah. Because think about, like you even said earlier in the show, how you fought life, you know, and me too. I fought myself. I fought life. Mm -hmm. And it's like to just, I don't know, surrender that, like, and have trust and as, yeah, peace. I don't want to get repetitive. Exactly. That's great. Thanks. What would you want people to know? Um, the same thing. I, I I think it's important that people know that they're not their bodies and that, I, you know, I, I definitely go by the model that life is sort of an illusion. It's, it's not real. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be conquered. And I don't think it's really meant to be conquered. I, I think we're meant to be here to have the experience. I don't think we, you know, we don't need to fight it. You know, even though, you know, not all of it's going to be pleasant. Because that, but that's just the net, that's the the nature of reality. That it's not all going to be pleasant. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it really is up to us on how much we have, how much it's going to suck. You know what I mean? Like I can make it yeah. much worse than it actually is. Well, you know, that's a notion I've been thinking about even even this morning when I was washing the dishes. Like, I've heard it said so many times. I imagine you have, too, that, like, uh, suffering's optional. What is it? Like, uh, things will happen. But do you remember that quote, um, but suffering's optional? Yeah, it's like pain is necessary and suffering is optional. Okay. So, honestly, I, I've never gotten that. Like, it's just I haven't even liked that quote because I didn't feel a connection to it. Like, what do you mean? you know, suffering's optional. Like when certain things have happened and I've definitely felt so sad and upset and, and was in suffering. Like I just felt like that's bullshit. And it hasn't been until just recently where I realized like when I've been in the pain, it's because I'm struggling against what is happening. And when I start to like, okay, this is what's happening right now. But like you said, reality, physical reality is constantly changing and it is there's more happening than just this physical reality. And when I start to kind of lessen my grip on it and stop resisting and be like, okay, this can be okay. Just to stop resisting, the suffering goes away. So I feel like I'm starting to to be able to to understand that in a practical sense. It's definitely true. Um, Yeah, it's just... uh... I don't know. One of the things I, I will joke around about is uh, I'll, I'll say if I wake up in the morning and I'm not feeling any type of pain, that's when I know I'm really in trouble. Why is that? Because then I'm probably dead. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, like pain lets me know that I'm still alive. Right, right. Yeah, there are lots of things that let us know we're still alive. Totally. Pain being one of them. Absolutely. Um, so before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? I would love for our listeners to go to nolatherapy.com, N-O-L-A-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles therapy, representing the two cities I live in and work in. (laughs) Yes. And I will uh, put the link to your website in the notes of this episode. Uh, so my listeners can uh, go to your site while they're listening and check you out. I appreciate out. that. 
And uh, thank you for sharing your audience with me. This is like really awesome. Thank you. Anytime. And just uh, hit me up whenever you want me to do your show. I'd be more than happy yeah, to. Yeah, I'm going to email you to schedule that. Awesome. And uh, just hang on one moment while I play the outro. You got it. You got it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.